And good, good morning, everybody. Can I get a good morning back from you today? Yeah, it's a good day. Uh, if everybody could just take a deep breath in and out. No matter what you're up against, no matter what you're facing, I believe this with all my heart. It's a good day. It's a really, really good day. If you have breath in your lungs today, there's a God-given purpose for your life. And I want you to know that, that no matter what you're up against, no matter what you're facing, no matter how you feel in this moment right now, that's not indicative of how our Father in heaven feels about you. I believe he loves you more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. I believe he's elated with you. He's excited that you're in church today. I've had a conversation with a few people before. They're like, if I walk into that church building, that whole thing might collapse. You know, like, well, first of all, we're not even in a church building, so you're good. But second of all, just kidding, you know, second of all, that is not the way that thing goes at all. God is elated with you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He cares so deeply about your situations, about your circumstances. And so I want to let you know, as excited as I can possibly be in my human body, I'm so stinking happy you're here today. It's going to be a good day to be in church. If we haven't met before, my name's Tyler. I get to be the pastor here at Anastasis, and I love what we do every single weekend. I believe that just as you experienced during that worship set, the power and the presence of God alive and active in the room today, I believe with all my heart that when we gather, there's almost nothing more powerful. The Bible says that we're, we're two or more gathered in his name, that God is present, that God is with us. And I believe that our God never leaves us or forsakes us. So I want to let you know, when you're in this space today, you're in an amazing place where peace abounds, where hope abounds, where freedom abounds, because that's what exists in the presence of God. And we're going to jump into a message today that I hope encourages you. I hope draws you near to the heart of God. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Good morning, Father. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you're faithful and that you're good or that you love us more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And Lord, right now, I just pray for peace. Peace in this room. God, I pray for your presence to come, your Holy Spirit, to make itself aware, God. And that we would be um, just with our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds, all of our attention fixed on you. God, I pray right now for every situation, every circumstance that's represented in the room. Lord, I pray that we just submit all of that to you. That we'd fix our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds on you. We would remember that you are God. We are not. And Lord, we would seek you with all of our hearts today. Father, I pray for this message I'm about to bring. God, I pray that the word you want spoken would be spoken. Whatever you don't want spoken, God, please omit that from my vocabulary. And Lord, I pray that today would be a day that just honors and glorifies you. Ask for all of that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. Verses 30 through 41 today. And this story has got a lot packed into it. It's, it's the conglomerate of a couple of different situations going on in the life and ministry of Jesus that follow one another. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where like you experience a situation, your friend or your spouse or whoever, a family member experiences the exact same situation at the exact same time, yet y'all have two completely different perspectives of how the thing went. Right? Like that, that happens pretty consistently. Like Hannah and I are wired pretty similarly, but then we see situations pretty differently. So I could walk out of a conversation or a meeting and look at her and, and she'll say, Hey, I think that went pretty well. And I'll go, Oh, really? Well, it went terrible. You know, like we were both in the conversation. We were both in the room. We're both sitting there together, but yet somehow one of us perceives it in a completely different manner. And I think oftentimes the reason that we can perceive that moment in a different way is because our eyes are fixed in a different direction than one another. While we're experiencing the same thing, while we're going through the same thing, while we're talking to one another about the same situation, because our perspective is different, 
what we tend to experience or what we think is reality might be different. And that's what we're going to see in this story with Jesus and his disciples right here in Mark 4. This, this, this passage we're going to look at is actually on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount. If you're with us the last couple of weeks, we looked at a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is directly on the heels of this. Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He's starting to draw large crowds to him. And in such a way that it says in Mark 3 that his family is actually concerned about him. Uh, it says that they think he may have lost his mind. That's what his family says about Jesus. It's crazy. We read this passage. We don't even realize that it's in there. If you go to Mark 3.21, you'll see it, that his mother and his brothers show up to Jesus preaching and teaching, and they're concerned for Jesus because they go, what is going on here? Why is he doing this? And it's interesting to me because Mary had the encounter with the angel, right, telling her this was all going to take place. You're going to birth God's son, and through him, there's going to be redemption to the world. Like, this is an amazing blessing. Yet, fast forward 30 years, and it seems like potentially whatever's going on in that world or in that family has caused even Mary, who had the encounter with the angel, to have some doubt or to have some reservation as to what's going on in Jesus's ministry. His brothers could potentially have been driving that as they're like, listen, okay, mom, I know you think an angel spoke to you, but Jesus is our brother. He's just like the rest of us. Like, I know he doesn't screw up as much, but he's just like the rest of us. There's no way he should be dragging these 12, you know, young men along with him down this journey. Let's go stop him. They come to talk to him. And Jesus says something that I think is profound because he had his eyes fixed on his mission and on his purpose. When they come, somebody says to him, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to talk to you. And Jesus would have known what they were going to say to him, what their motive was and what their goal was, was to try to talk him out of doing what he was sent to do. And he says, these are my mother and my brothers and my sister. Whoever listens to these teachings, whoever follows this, whoever walks with God is my family. And he kind of drew a line in the sand there where he said, I know that we're all experiencing something that's the same, yet we're seeing it from different perspectives. Jesus is like, I know my purpose. I know the plan God has for my life. I'm not going to let my family members shake that. I'm not going to let them bring doubt into the situation. Instead, I'm going to walk forward perfectly in what he was called to do. So we fast forward into this passage of scripture. And it says, you know, that we're going to look at this parable here. And this is actually the fourth different parable about the kingdom of God and about faith. And he says this in Mark 4, 30, he says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch on its shade. So what is the seed that he's talking about here? The mustard seed. The seed is faith, and the parable is identifying the spread of the kingdom of God around the world, right? The kingdom of God is realized through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is talking to them about how the gospel is going to spread. It's going to start small, start really small. It's starting with Jesus and then his 12 disciples. Like, that's how this thing is starting, and then it's going to spread around the world. And a mustard seed, like it said, is the smallest of all like garden seeds. It's the most unimpressive. It's the most unheralded. And in fact, if you were picking seeds that you thought were going to grow into a tree, 
of that size, if you were, if you were handed like nine seeds, spread them out on a table, this would be the one you probably wouldn't pick because you would think, well, that's the smallest. There's no way it's going to produce the largest tree. I'm looking for a big tree. I'm looking for something great in my garden potentially. And if you're not, you know, just, just this person who has all this knowledge about gardening and I'm not, I, I've shown you pictures of my dead plants. Like I'm not that guy. But if you look at those seeds, you would not pick this seed because it would be the smallest one. Naturally, it would go to, oh, where's the biggest one? Because like puppies, this is how my mind works, like puppies, the biggest paws mean the biggest dogs. And so like, I would just imagine that the seed that is the biggest would produce the biggest tree. And he's saying here, hey, listen, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. It's the most unimpressive, the most unheralded. It's the one you wouldn't pay attention to, but it's the seed with the most potential to grow. It's the seed with the most potential to grow. Its ceiling is the lowest. And faith is a seed, I believe, with limitless potential. That as we press in, as we lean in, as we allow God to shape our hearts, our minds, and our faith, it can grow and grow and grow. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes you've made, I believe with all my heart that God can use you and God can use your faith to change the world around you. You see, the disciples were ordinary men, and for some of them, they were even outcasts of society. If we read about the lives of his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they were all fishermen. They weren't these well-schooled, well-educated men who went, for, went to school forever, were rabbis. They weren't any of that. They were fishermen. And if you look at the life of Matthew, Matthew's name is also known as Levi. Matthew was a tax collector who some historians believe he was actually a guy who was supposed to be a priest or a rabbi, and he failed out of religious school, and that's why he became a tax collector. And what you need to know about being a tax collector in that society, in the Jewish culture, a tax collector was the most hated of all positions. They were dishonest. They made their money off of telling people their taxes were one number when they were actually a different number. Imagine this for a second. The way we do taxes in America is pretty streamlined for the most part. I mean, it can get complicated, but you understand, like, there's a form you submit, and they review it, and we either agree or we don't agree on the number that's on that paper. But what would have taken place in that day is a guy would have basically come around with a clipboard. He would have walked in your house, and he would have gone, hmm, taxes this year. I don't know, like 35000 and that TV. Like, that's kind of how it would have been done. There was no integrity to it at all. And could you imagine that taking place today? You hear the dun-dun-dun from the guy, like, IRS, you know, and you're like, oh, great. You know, here we are, and what, what do you need? It's like, well, we need everything you've got in your bank accounts plus what valuable do you have in this home? That's kind of the way the tax collector role went in that culture. So Matthew would have been hated by his fellow Jews, and yet God chose these people, uneducated, ordinary men with mistakes, with pasts, to be the ones who carry the gospel into the world around them. They're a ragtag bunch. They had their share of failures, but with God, all things are possible. When the angel came to Mary, to go back to that story really quick, to tell her, hey, listen, you're going to birth God's son. One of the things he said to her as he's communicating about Elizabeth also being pregnant, he said, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And the other thing he communicates over and over to her is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Nothing is impossible with God. And as you look at how God chose to use the spread of the gospel in the world around us through these 12 ordinary guys, one of them doesn't even make it, one of the original 12 doesn't even make it, Yet it spreads for thousands of years around the globe 
because with God, nothing's impossible. And so whatever you're up against today, I want to let you know that. Whatever you're facing, with God, nothing's impossible. Whatever you're facing, do not be afraid. God is with you. I believe that with all my heart. He's faithful. He's good. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Hold on to that thought. We're going to need it as we go today. It says this in verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So he's telling stories to the masses. He's communicating to them in a creative way that some of them would have picked up on, some of them wouldn't have picked up on. Even his disciples, many of them might not have understood the intricacies of what he's trying to describe to them about the spread of the gospel, about the kingdom of God. And so he pulls them aside and he says what I just told you guys, essentially. Hey, listen. This is how it's all going to go. I've chosen you. I've called you. You guys are going to be the ones that your faith carries this message of salvation to the world. And so they would have understood, understood that going into this next section. And it says this, that day when evening came in verse 35, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So it's been a long day of teaching. It's been so long that Jesus has essentially talked about the same story, the same idea, in like 47 different ways. Right? Like I said, we we referenced the fourth one, but then it says, and he told it in many other parables at that point. So all day, Jesus has been talking about the same point, the same principle. Eventually, he pulls his disciples aside, tells them what's going on. And one of the things that I want you to understand about his disciples is their age. If you don't know this, most of them would have been between like the age of like 16 and 22. That's kind of the age they believe Jesus' disciples to be, like late high school, college age kids. And these guys are giving up their lives and their livelihoods to follow Jesus. And so everything that's going on around them, put yourself in their shoes at 16 to 22 years old and imagine this next part. Because here comes a storm and it says in verse 38 that Jesus is in the stern sleeping on the couch or on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I can only imagine the conversation that now takes place between his disciples, right? The storm has come. It's crazy. They're exhausted. They've been up all day. They've heard Jesus tell the same story 47 times in 47 different ways, but it's still the same story. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're 18 years old. And here comes the waves and the water crashing in all around them. And I imagine they're like, where is he? You know, where is, where is Jesus? Like, what is he doing right now? You go find him. No, you go find him. Like, right? They're not all willing to approach Jesus probably. But then eventually they do. They run down. Jesus is in the stern sleeping. And they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39 says, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So this story literally gets me every time. Every time I read this narrative, I find myself being more and more sympathetic towards the disciples. Um, I think 
early on in reading scripture and, and reading about Jesus' disciples, I thought they were just like a bunch of knuckleheads, if I can be really honest, because I was like, you're following Jesus around. Like, how hard is your life, you know? Why is it so difficult for you to just trust that everything's okay? And then the more I study their lives and understand who they are and the things that they had gone through and what their perspective had been to that point, I started to put myself in their shoes and realize I'm actually not all that different than they are. Actually, I'm not different at all. You see, when the storms of life come, I freak out too. When things around me start to get chaotic, I get really, really nervous and I get really, really afraid. And I'd like to say that I've always got it figured out. And I'd like to say that I've always got it, you know, under control and that there's never a situation that catches me by surprise. But the reality is it's just simply not like that for me. The reality is I find myself more often than not saying, where is he? And I found myself in that spot. And I want you to take a second really quick. I want you to think about your response. When life gets out of control, when a situation gets more for you to bear, what's your response? What's your general temperament? What's your immediate thought process when that happens? It doesn't take us real long to figure it out. It seems like for most of us, when I ask you to think about something that's stressful, it like <laughs> clicks back really, really fast. If I ask you to think about something that was like super exciting, you're like, oh yeah, okay, this one. You know, like it takes you a second. But if I say, hey, think about one of the most stressful moments of your life. Like it doesn't take any time, right? But think about your response in that moment. Now let's examine what's happening in the boat. The disciples, high school, college age kids, are scared to death. They're freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. There's water crashing over the boat. And the disciples are full of fear, but Jesus is full of peace, right? He's asleep, he's relaxed, he's comfortable, and he's full of peace. And over the past couple of weeks, we talked about what is it that happens to us? What's our response when fear comes to us? We talked about how so often we can try to control our situations, that we can try to control the outcomes of our life because we fear what the alternative is. We fear what it's like if I don't control it. We fear what it's like if I release control. We fear what it's like if I don't work hard enough or if I, I'm not successful enough. And we believe, though, as Christians, that we weren't created to live in fear, that we were created to live with God in peace. And we talked about how our identity comes from God, not from ourselves, not from our hands, not from our situations, but our identity comes from who God says that we are. And we're God's children, his sons and his daughters, that he loves so dearly and that he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind of power, of love, and of peace, of power, of love, self-control. Insert whatever adjective you need that's going to make the point to your soul today because all of those are covered underneath that. And what we see here is a situation that is beyond the control of the disciples. And there's a couple of things to know. So let's read this interaction again. It says in verse 37 that a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boats, and it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
He got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So his disciples are coming to him saying, don't you care if we drown? A really honest moment here. How many of you have ever been there in a situation with God, right? Yeah, hands are going up all over the room. Don't you care what I'm walking through? Do you not see where I am? Do you not see what I'm facing? Do you not understand how hard this is? Where are you? What's going on? The disciples are questioning everything right now because the intensity of what they're walking through is shaking them to their core. The moment that they're up against is shaking them to their core. And you may have heard it that like adversity builds character. I don't actually believe that. I believe adversity reveals character. I believe that adversity reveals where we are. When some pressure is applied, when things get really, really difficult, what comes out of us is indicative of where our hearts are, where our souls are, where we're fixing our eyes. And so the disciples are questioning everything right now. And they're questioning the intensity of what they're walking through. And their leader to them is absent. But I love Jesus's response. Before he just gets up and tries to teach them and tell them stuff with everything going on chaotic, he stands up and he says, peace, be still, call. And everything goes quiet. And in a moment, Jesus does a couple of things. First, he rids the question from their minds of, do you care if we're going to drown? Yeah, I care. Here, done. The next thing he reveals to them is his power. So he's shown them his love for them. Now he's showing them his ability and his power. Hey, listen, your situations aren't in control. Your circumstances aren't in control. Maybe for you today, you need to hear the enemy is not in control. What you're up against is not in control. God is in control. And Jesus is showing that to his disciples. And immediately what went from a thunderous, loud, chaotic environment, silence, peace. As the father of a few children, I would love the ability sometimes in our homes to go, be quiet, be still, you know, and peace. It doesn't work like that all the time. But they saw that the power of God can make anything possible in their life. So then he asked them the question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's saying to them, hey, listen, we just talked about this all day. We just talked about faith all day. And at the end of me telling 19,000 stories, I pulled you aside and I told you what they really, really, really mean and how I chose each and every one of you. I handpicked you for a purpose. And I told you that I was going to be with you to the end of the age. I was never going to leave you or forsake you. And there's this greater mission and this greater calling that's going to take place. And I can't pass from this earth until this thing happens. And so why did you think that this storm was going to kill you? Why did you think this situation was going to kill you? Why did you think that had the power? I just told you. Did you not believe me? Did you not know? Where's your faith? Can you trust in who I am? And for so many of us, I believe we're being asked the same questions. Do you remember what I did for you? 
When you're up against something difficult, do you remember who I am? Do you remember what I've saved you from? Like all of your mistakes, all of your failures, yet I show you love. Yet I show you forgiveness. I'm a perfect and holy God, but I'm with you to the end. I know this is scary. I know what you're feeling in this moment is tough, but I'm with you. I'll never leave you. And I believe that Jesus is calling to each of us, saying, your situations are real. They're so real. Your pain that you're feeling potentially, is, it's so real. But I'm greater. And you've been made for more. This situation doesn't define you. I do. I have the final word. I've called you. I've made you. Intimately, creatively, for a purpose. You see, Jesus is focused on their faith here. And I found it interesting that on the heels of him talking about faith all day, that they would be a part of a situation that then tests their faith like moments later. And just to give you an FYI, that's the way your life is going to work. That's just the way it's going to work. You might realize something. You might learn something. You might notice that your character is being developed in some way. And then there's just going to be a tremendous opportunity for you to live that out. And none of us want that opportunity innately, right? None of us want to be in a storm that causes the waves to come over our boat where we're bailing water and we're freaking out and we're going crazy. None of us want that. Like, that's not what any of us want, but it's necessary. You see, Jesus is saying to them, your faith is like a mustard seed. It's, right now, it's not impressive, but it will be someday. I'm going to utilize you. The gospel is going to spread through you. And this week, I did a pretty big study on a mustard seed and a mustard tree. And I'll be honest, like, I've never really done a lot of studies on different trees. Uh, if you have, awesome. I should have hit you up this week. But I studied the mustard tree like there was no tomorrow this week. And I want to show you a picture of kind of like an artist's rendition of what a mustard tree looks like. And, and it's a little blurry. It's the best I could find on Google. But you get the picture, right? Like the garden is below it and the mustard tree goes up and out. And it can be as large as like 20 feet sometimes. It's a big tree to come from the garden's smallest seed, right? It's massive. But I kept studying, and the thing I became more enamored with, and the thing that spoke to me most was the thing you can't see below the surface, and that's its roots. And so if you look at this next picture of its roots, they grow deep. And in some cases, deeper than the height of the tree. Deeper than what you can see on the outside. Deeper than what your eye can perceive and can imagine. And I've used this example with you a couple of different times, but I felt led to go back to it this week because we're talking about overcoming fear and placing our trust in God for the outcome. And I just couldn't get rid of this notion of building deep roots in a faithful father. You see, during the storm, Jesus wasn't afraid. He was sleeping. When you're scared to death, you don't sleep well, right? It's like, how did you sleep last night? Not well. Why? Because I had a lot of things on my mind. Jesus is asleep. And the reason he's at peace is because he's confident in his identity. He's confident in his purpose. He's confident in the father who sent him. He knew who he was. He knew that that storm was no, patch, no match for his power. And he knew that he couldn't pass until his mission had been completed. His roots were deep. But his disciples, on the other hand, they were full of fear. They were overwhelmed. Why? Because their identity as the beloved of God 
hadn't yet set in. Their identity, their understanding of the mission that God had called them to, their calling, it hadn't yet settled in. It just begun to take root. And in order for any tree or any plant, for their roots to grow, for their entire plant to take shape, to grow, there's got to be some water. As I was thinking about that this week, and it was really interesting that they had had this conversation about a mustard seed, and then they have an interaction with water, and you think about the fact that, like, in order for any of our plants or trees to grow, there has to be some water. But if you recognize this, water comes from rain, right? And rain rarely is accompanied by itself, but it's often accompanied with a storm. And so in order for their growth to take place, they had to go through a storm. They had to walk through something difficult that was going to shake up their character a little bit, that was going to refine them in a significant way. So my hope for all of us today as we sit here is rather than trying to escape or avoid the storms of life, my hope would be that we allow the storm to do what God wants it to do, that we would withstand the tension and the pressure that can be destructive, but allow our roots to grab the nutrients that come from those difficult situations to help us continue to grow, not just outwardly, but inwardly. So that way when the next storm comes, we withstand. The one after that, roots are a little deeper, we withstand. The one that comes after that, the roots keep growing a little deeper, and we withstand. Without question that day, the disciples' roots grew as they watched their Savior, their leader, their King Jesus overwhelm a storm with peace. And Matthew 7, 24 through 27, as we close today, says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the wind blew, it beat against that house, yet it did not fall down because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The roots of the tree are its foundation. The roots of our life is faith in Jesus. The foundation of our life is Jesus. We don't place our trust in ourselves. When we do that, we're building our house on sand. We're not giving our roots anywhere to grow. And every storm that comes along is going to shake us to the core. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, our perspective on Jesus, on a good and faithful Father, our roots grow deep. The storms of life don't shake us. They grow us. You take what the enemy intended for evil and God turns it for good. And he utilizes it to grow you to change you. And the storms may come, but we won't be shaken. When fear comes knocking, when anxiety comes to control, I want you to remember, you have the Prince of Peace, the one who can silence any storm on your side. Don't place your trust in your hands. Place your trust in God. So my question for you today as we close is which one do you want your life to represent? Fear or peace? I'll give you the answer. None of us want fear, right? That's the truth. None of us are like, I need more fear. That'd make things better. You don't want that. But peace doesn't come from yourself. You can't create peace. 
But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's what he does. And it's who he is. Let's pray together.